0: Welcome to the Stories Behind the Stars podcast. In this podcast, we interview researchers who are finding and telling the stories of individual World War II fallen heroes. Today, we have the opportunity to hear from Susan Gould. Do you want to take a second and introduce yourself, Susan?
1: Okay, thank you. Um, I'm a retired nurse. I live in Tennessee. We've lived here for over 40 years. I'm originally from New York. I was living and working in New York when I met my husband who is a sailor just passing through and the rest is history, I guess. So we lived um, in several different places. The Navy took us to Connecticut, South Carolina, California, even Guam, before coming to Tennessee. About 20 years ago, or a little over that, I started doing our family history and researching it and just found it fascinating to find out where people lived, um, what their occupations were, and and everything. Being interested in in genealogy and family history research, I'm a member of several um, lineage societies and and associations. And I saw last July on a a blog or e-newsletter this weekly genealogist from the New England Historic and Genealogical Society, American Ancestors, A little blurb about stories behind the stars. And I clicked on it and read about it. And I thought I would really like to post a story of my mother's cousin, who was a paratrooper in World War II and he died on Corregidor. So I clicked the link for more information. And I think your dad replied. And uh, the instructions were so easy uh, to follow and to understand that I went to Fold3 and I posted a story about Cousin. And then I, I realized how really worthwhile this project was. And I thought, I can post some stories uh, of men from the county that we live in now who uh, died during the war. And I had a good starting place. We had researched all of the veterans of our county a few years ago uh, for a Veterans Park but on the courthouse monument are engraved the names of those who died during World War II. So I had a great starting place. And I started researching and posting some of those stories when I found out that July, which is when I started, was um, the project or initiative to post stories of the USS Indianapolis men. because the anniversary of the loss of the ship was in July. So I took a little detour and got some Indianapolis names, researched those, and then went back to uh, finish our county and started doing some surrounding counties in Tennessee until the D-Day project uh, came up. So I've been researching now some D-Day stories and veterans from D-Day.
0: So you said that you, you know, started with your own family history, but would you say like, you know, besides your family history connection to World War II, did you have like any like passion for World War II or any like,
1: like history with that? Uh, No, we have have several family members, uh, you know, a stepfather that was in the war and uncle that was in the war that I, you know, that I knew about. We've known those stories, but, um, you know, I've learned a lot through this project and through researching about, about the war, about the, you know, about the men who serve the families and the communities.
0: I think that's kind of the, the joy of getting involved in this project is like, Actually, you're learning so much and you're growing so much just to be able to do it, right? You know, like, oh, what is this? What is this battle? What is this event? And mm-hmm. and that's kind of like a lot of people think, oh, I can't really do this because I don't know a lot about World War II. But it's like if you are you're willing learning, to learn,
1: yeah. Yeah.
0: If you're willing to learn, you'll do it. You know, you'll be successful. So you shared a few names with me of some soldiers. Do you want to tell some stories that you found?
1: Okay. Well, the first one I had shared with you is this Tommy Moundress who was born in 1916 in Chicago. And he was the only child of immigrant parents. His father was born in Greece and his mother in Canada. Um, The family lived in Chicago. Tommy graduated from college and he was teaching chemistry at the University of Illinois before he entered the service. He was a captain with the 81st Chemical Battalion and commanding officer of Company A. This um, 81st Chemical Mortar Battalion landed in Normandy early on D-Day and uh, Company A lost some of its equipment in the heavy seas and their captain, this Thomas Moundress, his commander was mortally wounded before reaching the beach. So he died on D-Day and is buried in the Normandy American Cemetery in France he's representative of several of the stories that I have found where he was the only child of immigrant parents. Um, you know, those that had come to the United States for, for freedom, for better opportunities and his, he would have had such a future. He was, uh, teaching, uh, you know, a professor in, in college before he, um, you know, he entered the service. Uh, so he's, He's representative of, of so many others and tragic stories. But being the only child, if we don't tell his story, who will? We have to um, find that information and tell those stories and record those stories. He had no descendants. He, there's no nieces and nephews. You know, No one else to tell his story
0: wow like my dad is my grandmother's from mexico and my grandfather is from sweden and and so like that really just hits me because like having conversations with my grandparents about america and what brought them here and why they came here and you know and then you know the the hope of they came here for us right and then to lose their only child here in america and be in a foreign land like that's just the ultimate act of sacrifice it's just heart-wrenching heart-wrenching and I love how you said, like, there's literally no one who's going to remember him because he doesn't have any nieces or nephews. You know, his parents were immigrants, you know. And so, like, he he gave everything to America and his family gave everything to America. And we have to honor that. Wow. That's amazing.
1: Another story is this William Wright Moreland or uh, Billy Moreland, who was born 1925 in this Devon community in Bushong, I think I'm saying it right, Lyon County, Kansas. Um, he in February, okay, he graduated from high school in this Devon rural school. Um, and in 1942, he graduated from high school and he in February of 1943, he enlisted in the army. He enlisted along with his older brother, Jay, and two local classmates and friends, this Rex Arthur Gore and Johnny Herrick, all were from the small town of Bushong, population, according to the newspaper, 81. This town was small to begin with, is my understanding, and um, you know, maybe had two churches, a general store, a bank, it had the school, and then during the de- Depression, the bank failed and I think the other families that were there probably moved on for more opportunities, but it was very small population-wise. So these four boys go off to war and they're all attached to the same unit, the 149th Engineer Combat Battalion from the 6th Engineer Special Brigade. Um, on D-Day, um, this the 149th Engineer Combat Battalion um, was digging a path through the dune line, a second detail wormed its way through gaps in the barbed wire, um, and they encountered fierce enemy and mortar fire. And it was said, quote, that the human cost of the engineer's heroism on Omaha was enormous. Uh, Billy Moreland was missing in action and declared dead on June 6, 1944. His brother was missing in action, and his parents did not learn until December 1944 that he was also declared dead. The two uh, young men that, and their classmates and friends that had gone with them, Rex Allen Gore and Johnny Herrick, also died. So, this is a small town, population 81. I don't know how many families, not that many, really. And here's three families that are affected, you know, with this loss. And you know that the entire community had to be devastated by the loss of of four young men at the same time, you know, on the same day, although they did not learn that it was over a period of time they learned that. So, and this this town now is a ghost town, literally a ghost town, has been for several years. There's, you know, it's sort of non-existent now, but there was a, uh, another man, this John Daniel Clifton uh, that was born in 18, 19, 1923, 1923 in uh, Virginia. And he entered in 1941, the Army National Guard at Bedford County, Virginia. And he was attached to the 116th Regiment of the 29th Division. Of course, they were uh, involved in, in D-Day operations. So by the end of the day, 19 of the company's Bedford soldiers were dead and two more died later in the Normandy campaign. So there were 34 Virginia National Guard soldiers from the town of Bedford who were part of D-Day. 19 of them were killed on the first day, four more died during the rest of the Normandy campaign. It was the town and what they now call the Bedford Boys that proportionately suffered the greatest uh, losses of American towns during the campaign and inspired the establishment of National D-Day Memorial that's there now that honors all of the men that died on D day. I think Bedford County I looked up their population in 1940 was 29,000. I think the other small town with population 81 was hard hit, but this town was able to, you know, to rally and develop something positive in the memorial following their loss of the Bedford boys. But these are these are representative of, of two different towns, but I think every town was affected. Not only was the family affected by the loss, but friends, neighbors, and communities. And I think that's you know part of it, that, that the community suffered losses.
0: Yeah, I mean, like the home front is just something that we don't often hear a lot about, like what affected them and things. And-
1: well, it was part of the national unity where everybody, everybody had to ration all the things that they were um, accustomed to, the sugar, the meats, coffee, butter gas was rationed all of the plants were you know no automobiles were produced no bicycles i read that recently also because of metal and all the plants were turned into a war related production so i think there was there was that unity maybe in patriotism there and people just you know learned to get on somehow
0: well do you feel like doing this project has changed you at all as an individual
1: I probably have a much greater appreciation for for everything you now for the country for the military. I think I've you know I've I felt like I was patriotic <laughs> before, but now I, I understand it's more personal. When you get into the personal stories, it's more than just the names and dates. But when you get into personal stories, it's much more meaningful.
0: I really love that you said that because I was I was up late editing a podcast and you know right now we're we're doing this all volunteer because we're trying to figure out funding so that we can keep this you know going and get things going but right now it's this volunteer and I was up late editing a podcast and my and I had to do it late because my baby was just not going to sleep, right? And I was just, he's teething. And so he was like, it was like 9.30 or 10 before he fell asleep. So I'm editing his podcast up late. And um, as I was rocking my baby to sleep and thinking, oh, I got to get this podcast done. Like, and in my heart, I just felt like, you know what? My uncle never got to hold his little son. And he never got that opportunity to rock a baby to sleep at 9.30 at night he never got that opportunity because he gave that opportunity to me and so it's okay if I'm gonna lose a little more sleep so that like this story about this individual can be heard by more than just you know just my family or like you know and especially the story like you told like at the beginning like his name isn't being remembered by his great grandniece right because he doesn't have one and so like that's the personal element of what what we're doing here that's so powerful is that there's a name to that number that we don't see that needs to be seen well do you have any advice you'd give to anybody who's thinking about
1: volunteering um i think i would just tell somebody to post one story if they have you know if they know a relative a friend if they don't know anyone um It's easy to find a name. Their casualty lists are are easy to to find. Or go to the site, go to the website and and learn about the, you know, the program, the stories behind the stars, and um, try and post just one story because every story counts. And every story will help, you know, reach the goal of posting as many as possible of all of the, you know, the World War II Veterans. I think every um, every war, every veteran uh, is very is important. But with these, they're um, if we don't record them now, they may be lost. So I think World War II. There's more of an urgency to get these stories told. I think we should tell the stories of of all the veterans, but. Um, these we need to record while we can Yeah, I agree. There was another story I think I had I had sent you. this stories similar to this have been uh, have been told before and remarked on, but this Edmund uh, Dabney was from Montgomery County in Tennessee, which is an adjoining county. Um, he enlisted in 1936 and then after three years he re-enlisted again. So in July 39 he was a private you know, first class. And then he made corporal in 1940. Um, in 1941, he was a staff sergeant in the Philippines with the 21st Pursuit Squadron and the 24th Pursuit Group. And after the April 9th, 1942 surrender of the Bataan Peninsula, he was one of over 75,000 Filipino and American troops that were forced to walk the 65 mile baton death march to prison camps. He survived for two years in the prison camp where you know they had many fatalities even on the, the death march and, and the conditions in the prisons were horrific and unimaginable. And another story I had written some from a diary of a survivor about the, you know, the the brutality that is is really unimaginable. But he survives that. Uh, in October 1944, the um, the Japanese load the prisoners of war. There are 1,775 of them onto a onto a boat because they're uh, they're realizing the Americans are coming back. You know, to the Philippines. And they wanted to transport them back to Japan. And they left um, October 11th. They left, sailed from Manila. And October 24th, the ship they were on was hit by torpedoes from an American submarine in the South China Sea. Five prisoners escaped. Four others were retained by the Japanese. And the rest perished. Um, So he was... He was declared as killed in action on October 24th. And he's, again, representative of thousands, really, who survived the brutality or, you know, endured the brutality of the prisoner of war camps. And then he was killed by friendly fire. Of course, it was was no one's fault that, um, the Americans were trying to um, prevent supplies from reaching Japan, had no idea. There was no intelligence at that point that would let them know that prisoners of war were on the ship. They thought it was just a supply ship. But it, it's, uh, it's just um, you know, tragic that, that those things happened, but they did.
0: Yeah, there's so many numbers of men that are like die from accidents, you know, more so than just like an enemy's weapon. And it's so heart wrenching. Wow. Especially to have lived so long and so much suffering, right? Oh. Wow. That's that's heart wrenching.
1: They um the stories, you know, they are, they are, but they um I think anyone Interested? Um, if if they go to the site, if they maybe read some of the stories that are on fold three or they just just post one story, it'll help get them all told.
0: Yeah, which is, you know, if we if if we had, you know, there's 300 million people in America, right? So if if we had even like a small percentage of that 300 million volunteer and write one story we'd be done in a year right (laughs) so it's it's just we just need that one one story to be written you know if that's all you can do and that's what we need because (laughs) it's a big project but we could get it done if we have lots of hands
1: helping right no I think we'll get it done hopefully in time
0: (laughs) (laughs) yeah we're we're really grateful for our volunteers. I I don't think we can express it enough because it's it's hard to like contact everyone and say thank you so much for doing this and and um, just so grateful for you taking this time and doing this you know nobody's paying you and nobody's you know maybe recognizing
1: you as much as what you're doing but like. Well I don't think we do it for recognition. I think you get a personal satisfaction from knowing that you're able to to tell a story. And then um, it's amazing and, and such a good thing that someone else can go in and, and either add to that story or add another story, you know, or add to it. I've gone back on one county, I was able to get a, a book that, that the Historical Society published, a World War II scrapbook. A couple in Dixon County saved all the newspaper clippings of every, of Every um, soldier and sailor from their county, anything that was in the newspaper, they pasted in this scrapbook and the Historical Society then printed it. And I was able to get a copy and I had already done some stories about that county, but I was able to go back and put in some personal things, you know, where they went to school or they were on the football team or those personal things that make it special. So
0: I really like how you said, you know, you're telling a story and there that's the reward, you know, like that's, that's the reason why you're doing it. You're telling someone's story that needs to be heard. Thank you for listening to the stories behind the stars podcast. We're so grateful you're here with us today. If you like this content, please consider subscribing. Please consider donating on stories behind Or even better yet, volunteering to help write these stories. We're so grateful for all of our many volunteers who are making this project happen. And if you have a story you think needs to be on this podcast, contact us at contactstoriesbehindthestars.org.